What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? And welcome to yet another installment of Open Run presented to you by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm coming back at you yet once again, besides my backcourt partner and co-host, Josh Hicks, to talk on all of the action that is currently taking place during the 2023 NBA playoffs as the conference semifinal round is now upon us with a pair of series thus far already officially underway in the East and West respectively. And one that is currently set to get started at the top of this week as we're recording this episode between the Sixers and Celtics out in Beantown with the playoffs officially heating up. How you holding up, Josh? Thank God for the playoffs. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been a lot of drama. A lot of oh, upsets, too. Man. Yeah, most definitely. But uh, outside of that, man, I'm good. I'm just, I'm, I'm glad to watch another a, a year of really good basketball. That's especially starting off. It's, I think it's been a while since we had a very I had a that much of an entertaining first round um, from a playoff perspective. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm real good. I'm sure you are. But did you ever think that we would have to renege on what we said last week so fast when we thought Milwaukee had a shot? Don't and remind me, we got done recording last week, we all rushing to our television sets. Look at it with Jimmy Butler doing, <laughs> oh, you know, dropping God. a 50-plus a, a piece on them guys, man. Mm. In, a, in a performance that was very Jordan-esque. And, like, he got hot from three-point land, which is something that Jimmy Butler is not known for doing. And when he's shooting nose and hitting them, you you got to respect this drive even more. It's like, I don't know what to do. And then to think that Mike Budenholzer didn't even seek to call a timeout when Miami was on that run. And then you follow that up with game five where late in crunch time, you take Brooke Lopez out the game, your top rim protector. And what do you know? Inbound play, Jimmy curling to the lane for oop, lay it up off the glass, tie game, and they stole it on the Bucks' home floor. It, it, I've seen eight versus one upsets. I have, but that's the first time in my life that I've ever seen a number one seed fall to an eighth seed in the first round on a home floor. That's a tough way to go out. Oh yeah, it's 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 really bad. It's like watching that game was like Coach Carter when <laughs> they were in the tournament, and he says, "They're not gonna just give you this. Sometimes you gotta take what's yours." Right? Y'all ready to take what's yours? Right? Jimmy <laughs> Butler said, "I'm taking this to the Miami. I'm taking this back home." Yeah, he definitely and, did. Ooh, and the and the way that he did it, it, that's just it's just impressive, man. You can never count out Miami in the playoffs, but especially a Jimmy Butler Miami in the playoffs. We've seen what that looks like. And he's come through again. He's come through once again, man. And then you even got Duncan Robinson rising from the dead in the wake of the Tyler Hero injury with the broken wrist. Who would ever thought he would find a way to make his way back into the rotation in the midst of all that's transpired these last couple of years after going from being a key cog in the rotation during their run to the finals down in the bubble in 2020 to getting a whole bunch of DMPs. Kudos to him, man. And Kyle Lowry, like, 
this has been phenomenal to watch. And it just goes to show you how the playoffs are truly indeed all about matchups. But in this week's edition of Open Run, me and Josh will take the opportunity to discuss the rise in parity that has transpired during this year's postseason that we've been talking about to open up the show. In addition to also taking a quick look into all of the upsets that have transpired in the opening round series and where the several teams whose playoffs runs ended sooner than expected go from here, including what to look forward to in all of the conference semifinal series and more. But first, let's take a moment to salute the players and stars who further etched their names within the history books over the last week and a half in our hoop shout out segment. Special hoop shout outs go out to longtime Miami Heat head coach Eric Spolstra, who officially surpassed Larry Brown for fifth place on the NBA's all time leaderboard for most wins by a head coach in the playoffs after capturing his 101st victory in the Heat's seven-point dub against the Knicks during game one of their Eastern Conference semifinal series in New York, in addition to the Golden State Warriors, who recently managed to capture a road win in 28 consecutive playoff series as the defending champs took two out of the final three outings behind enemy lines in their first-round matchup against the Sacramento Kings, to advance to the Western Conference semifinals for the seventh time in the last nine seasons, which is really incredible when you think about it because who had one of the league's worst records, if not the worst record on the road this year in the NBA during the regular season? It was the Golden State Warriors, but apparently it don't matter. So after taking the time to reflect on the accomplishments that transpired over the last several days, Josh, what are some things throughout the postseason or just across the basketball landscape as a whole that's either caught your eye or impressed you the most? I'm going to take my my topic for this week away from the NBA. So I'm switching over to the WNBA. Okay. Shout out to the Las Vegas Aces. I like Shout out to the Las Vegas Aces. That new practice facility that they get that Mark Davis built over there is beautiful. But it set the precedence of what the WNBA should be. You should all the players deserve to have the, the, the type of equality from resources that the NBA has. And WNBA players deserve that as well. So the fact that the ACES owner, Mark Davis, stepped up and said, I'm gonna create this for a championship team that has proven they can win and they want to win more. What better way to entice more players that want to win championships to then to create the, the space for them to really do that? And, you know, obviously we know Mark Davis isn't the only owner in the WBA that's been known for investing heavily in their team. You know, Joe, uh, Joe Sy mm-hmm. with the New York Liberties has been one of the top ones as well that's been heavily criticized throughout the league. But at the end of the day, you know, WBA players deserve better. And Mark Davis really took honestly got the balls enough to say, you know what, I'm going to provide that. They deserve it. You're going to say I can't provide charter flights? Okay, cool. But while they're here, I'm going to provide them the best resources possible so they don't have to do too much. And that's ideal for them. Um, it's He set the bar of what the WNBA should be moving towards and every owner in the league should be uh, should be aspiring and pushing for their athletes to, to, to have. So, hey, kudos to the Aces. You want a title, 
uh, this past season. You set the bar uh, for what players should deserve. And having players like Candace Parker to come over there, support the movement, and really get to live out what she's been yearning for, because she's been very public and saying she wanted this, um, and that WBA players deserve this. It's a, it's a testament to what the WBA could be, but really what it should be. And you got to, someone has to be the, the leader to start that off. So shout out to Mark Davis and the, uh, and the Las Vegas Aces, man, for stepping up in the right way, supporting their players um, and giving them the best resources possible for them to succeed. Oh, absolutely. I, I got a chance to see the photos that they unveiled at a new practice facility. And I must say it's top notch. Mm-hmm. And you you 100% spot on with your assessment of it, Josh, because for those who don't follow the WNBA, this is like, this is historic on, on many levels. They the only WNBA team with their own practice facility. And when you see stuff like that, it's not hard at all to understand why Candace Parker left the sky to join the likes of Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray on the defending world champion, Las Vegas Aces squad, which is also coached by Becky Hammond, who, as we know, in reports that came out this week, is being heavily pursued for the head coaching position by the Toronto Raptors. I, I, I love it. I, I, I love it. And I, I think and I hope that other owners of WNBA teams seek to follow suit because you have to step your game up in order to compete with the likes of a Mark Davis, as well as a Joe Sy, an owner that I've been critical of on the NBA front. And I think rightfully mm-hmm. so. However, when it comes to the WNBA, if you haven't been reading or paying attention to what's transpired over the last year, I got to give this guy some respect and kudos for what he's doing because he was fined half a million dollars for allowing players on the Liberty to travel on charter flights numerous times. And it's hard to believe it. Matter of fact, it's not even hard, but it's crazy to even think that that violated the CBA agreement within the WNBA. And that shows that while there's a lot of progress that has been made through 26 years of the WNBA, there's so much more that needs to be made. But I, I, I love that facility. That's an amazing facility. And to hear someone like Candace Parker, who's been in the league for, hell now, over 15 seasons, say, like, this is the first time I've ever been able to play on a team that has its own practice facility. And think about what Candace Parker's been. We talk about somebody that's won Olympic goals, national championships at the University of Tennessee. And on top of that is a two-time WNBA champion, multiple MVP recipient, all that. Like, man, that, that's, that's phenomenal. So I, I'm impressed by that, and I like that you brought that up. But for me, the things that stood out to me, I, I, I just got to go straight into it, man. With Stephen Curry. Yes, sir. You know, I, I, I troll Stephen Curry a little bit. Because I always want to see the evil side of Steph. I know he a good dude. I know he likes to, you know, portray himself as a man of God. And I know he is. I, I believe that. 
But on Sunday in Sacramento, I saw the pop star turn into Pusha T. <laughs> he chose <laughs> violence, man. He chose violence. You put up 50 in game seven. Man, that, that's a hell of a way to close out a series on the road against an up-and-coming King squad who, unfortunately, they had a collapse towards the end. Mm -hmm. But it's not the failure, in spite of what a lot of people across NBA Twitter and other outlets who have these championship or bust mindsets might like to believe. Because this was their first go-round. And I want to ask people who listen to our show that play a prominent role in NBA Twitter who feel that way to think just for a second and ask themselves, like, what teams have you really seen in their first rodeo in the NBA playoffs actually take it all? And if they did, consisted mostly of guys that had little to no experience playing on the postseason stage. Not too many. Not too many. Most folks will say, well, the OA Celtics, but, you know, they had experienced vets that have been there, such as Paul Pierce, KG, Ray Allen, et cetera. Doc Rivers was, you know, a head coach that had postseason experience, even though he had yet to win a title. Like, man, you, you got to take your lumps and bruises along the way. But, yeah, I, I just got to give a shout-out to Steph, man, because every time you want to count the Warriors out, they find a way to always make you look foolish. And it's, it's so many times I don't like giving teams the benefit of the doubt, especially when they haven't earned it. I'm not saying that the Golden State Warriors haven't earned it. They've definitely earned it. But it's like, just what you think is the end is not. And when you put it in perspective and think about the last time that a team in the Western Conference beat them was back in 2014 with the Los Angeles Clippers during that Lob City era led by Blake Griffin. Chris Paul, J.J. Reddick, Jamal Crawford, and them. Man, like, you talk about a, a nine-year run where you only had two seasons in which you fell short. And in one of those seasons, you happen to be a play-in team that had a shot. And it makes you wonder, well, maybe if they get past Memphis in 2021, what could have been? But either way, it's been a hell of an era. And if this is indeed the last dance, they sure as hell going to make it one hell of a ride for us to watch as fans across the country. I definitely agree with you, man. That's a heck of an assessment, as always. Um, the Kings deserve a lot of credit for this, man. They had a successful season. They overachieved. They're way ahead of schedule now. And for people that are mad at the Kings, you got to be mindful that the Kings made the playoffs in over 17 years. Yeah. Like they haven't made the playoffs in over a decade. We forgot what Sacramento Kings fans were like. Because we didn't, because so, they never, they never made it. No. Yeah. And, and exactly. Some never will because they didn't watch the Kings of old like we did. Exactly. You know? So because of that, it's like when you put that into perspective, the Kings, Definitely deserve a lot of credit. But champions are champions for a reason. They've done this before. Steph Curry, my cousin, rose to the occasion. <laughs> said, uh, swiper no swiping to Deer and Fox. 
and made sure and said, team, we good. We got this. I'm going to put y'all on my back. Gave a motivational speech to the team that was reported and said, hey, you don't, if you don't think we can win, you can stay at the crib, bro. Because I'm coming yeah. here. To win. And if you want and you think we can't win, trust me. He said, I'm going to trust you with a 50 piece. If you don't believe me then, you better believe me now. And that's something that should, and honestly should scare the league. Because this year is not, this team is not the same team as the, as the fearful Warriors before. But Steph Curry is showing it don't matter which team it is. I am him. That should scare the heck out of the, all of these teams in the league, especially the West. Because let's just say Memphis did get past L.A. You telling me that Steph Curry's gonna go against the Grizzlies and they don't have their they night in it, they wouldn't circle that on the calendar because of what happened in 2021. I'm just saying that could have been special too, but yeah, Cuzzo did damage. Cuzzo did damage. And that gotta I definitely gave give definitely gotta give props to him, you know, for representing me and the fam, of course. But it was uh, talking trash. Yeah. Was talking yeah. trash to the fans. Tell them like the bean. Cause for a minute I was like, Wardell, is this you? <laughs> you know, I thought I saw a different person. I respect that though. I knew mm-hmm. he had that side to him. I guess it took him being with a six seated warrior squad for us to see it. Cause when he was the top dog, he talked trash, but not like that. Mm-hmm. He was talking to those Sacramento fans. Yesterday afternoon. What did Mark Jasser call Steve uh Steph Curry? The baby-faced assassin. That yeah. baby-faced assassin went to work on them fans, G. Now he was talking to everybody. This dude was laughing at the yeah. Kings. He was laughing at the Kings. <laughs> like, if, if 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 Dylan Brooks wants to know what it means to poke the bear, that's a prime example. He's he been poking, he's been poking bears all his life, and clearly been poking bears in the playoffs, and he really got to tell the bad end of that. But you know, Steph, that that this is what ha- he should look at, not just LeBron, but in the Stephen Curry game and say, you know, LeBron got to face this. This is what happens when you poke greatness. When you poke greatness, you're gonna get something like this. And hey, you better take it all in because it's not gonna come back in the way you want it. Well, another reason why I respect it, too, is because had he not pulled what he did in game seven, he was risking taking a loss to De'Aaron Fox, who I don't know if you noticed, was sporting his shoe, his signature shoe, might I add, with Under Armour for most of the series. Mm -hmm. And that was something that always stuck out to me. And it kind of reminded me of 2013 when LeBron was playing up against the Spurs. And Danny Green was lighting them up in LeBron's alongside of Manu Ginobili. And I know players have to have that in the back of their mind that have superstar status like a Steph Curry and a LeBron James have. But, man, that was just crazy. But I still got to give kudos to the Kings, man, because most people were ready to count them out after losing game five. And they went into San Francisco at the Chase Center and proved why mm. – you know, they are a team to be reckoned with in the future and that they can also win on the road, something that they did often 
during the regular season, I believe they had the best road record in the NBA this season. So I, I, I was impressed with what I saw from Sacramento. I know Sabonis had a second half that he would like to forget in, in a series that he would likely like to forget with being out rebounded, out hustled by the likes of Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. But I believe that he'll grow from it and learn as he goes forward into his career and go into it with confidence after having an all NBA season, nonetheless. Most definitely, man. The Sacramento Kings came up there. You talk about the win in San Fran. They gave the Warriors a Botox ass whooping. Like yeah. <laughs> it was so bad, G. Like it, it, it was so bad. Like <laughs> that's all you can say. Yeah, it was. You just did not expect the Warriors to come out that flat and then get that outworked on their home court in a playoff game like that. Like, that's a wholly different type of level of play that a young Kings team showed that, hey, we could be young, but guess what? We ballers too. This is In a closeout game. Yeah. You know, not just any playoff game, but in a closeout game to get annihilated in your build when you had the opportunity to close it out. But like true champions, they rebounded. And they rebounded well, and they responded with not only a valiant effort, but a victorious effort. But I want to move away from the discussion on the defending world champions and that hell of a series in the first round out of Sacktown to discuss a trend that we talked about to open up the show, and that's the rise in parity during these playoffs. Prior to the 2023 NBA playoffs, only five number eight and seven seeds had ever won a playoff series against the number one and two seeds, respectively. As the regular season usually served as a reliable barometer when it came to forecasting the teams that are most likely to have some success or go on an epic run and route to a title. Yet that hasn't been the case as of late, as the departure of these super teams have brought about a way of evenly distributed talent across the board. You know, we talk about for the first time in NBA history where you've had two teams find themselves go from the playing round to advancing past the opening round Mm -hmm. with the Miami Heat, who were the number eight seed knocking off the number one seeded Milwaukee Bucks in five games in round one of their playoff series out in the East. You also had the seven seeded Lakers take down the second seeded Memphis Grizzlies in blowout fashion during game six out in Tinseltown. And they're now getting prepared to face off against the very team that we opened up the show talking about mostly, and that's the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference semis, set to tip off later this week, as one of each of the eight possible seeds have advanced into the second round for the first time in 40 postseasons, providing us with a historic degree of parity that the league has not seen in some time. Got to ask you, Josh, what do you make of this trend that we're seeing? I know Adam Silver has to love it from a rating standpoint because you have New York going up against Miami in the East. You also have Philadelphia versus Boston going up against one another in the East as part of the conference semifinal matchups in that conference. Then you have the Lakers with the Warriors. Denver versus Phoenix, those are your small markets. For the most part, you got all your major market teams in it. But they took the path and the road less traveled to get there. What what do you make of this trend, man? Like, 
do you value it more than what you've seen compared to recent past in the playoffs? Because we don't get eight versus five matchups every day. Like we getting in this heat Knicks series. We don't get a seven versus six matchup every day in the semifinal round. We seeing a lot of weird things happen. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, and if you're a real basketball fan, you should love it too. Because even though it's great to see the powerhouse franchises win, the big market teams win, it's always fun to have challenging small market teams fight for the title too. And when I say challenging teams, I'm talking about teams that actually have the talent, must be are very underrated to win, but they have the talent to get it done. And the right small market team will make an impact. Henceforth, we just talked about the Miami Heat. Miami Heat are known for winning, but they're a small market team, and you can't always count them out. As long as they got a star over there, you cannot count them out. And the way they transitioned from the, the big three era, starting well, starting off with D-Wade, then to the big three, and then you're still there with Jimmy, it's like Miami really never misses the beat. They may not win a title, but Jimmy Butler will keep them afloat. Like, it's, it's, those are storylines that as a basketball fan, you want to see. Now, of course, do I want to see Giannis in the playoffs go deep? Yes, absolutely. I want to see all the top players go deep and far in the playoffs because that's, that's, that's what you want to see. But when you talk about the talent across the league and how, and especially in this part of the decade, is one of the most diverse equality talent-wise for each of these franchises to where you really can't take a night off. You never know what you're going to get. Everything's going to be up in the air and nothing's really guaranteed. That's what NBA basketball is all about. And if you're banking on that and you support that, then yeah, you got to love what's going on. But if you are, if you are very, if you're an average fan that really only focuses on big names and stuff, you won't understand the value and the fun of what it means to have underdogs take over the top dogs in the fashion that they're doing it, creating the storylines that will honestly change the NBA forever because of not just teams, no, not just big teams retooling themselves to get back to the top, but small market teams making that much more aggressive moves to compete with them now because they know they can they have the possibilities of taking them down when the opportunity presents themselves. I understand what you're saying. So why do you think we're seeing this current trend? Because like, in my opinion, I know the Miami heat from a media market standpoint, if you compare them to other NBA markets, they may be a small market team, but due to the rise of social media, the LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, big three era, combined with them having Shaq during the early days mm-hmm. when Dwayne Wade was making a name for himself in the NBA. I've never seen the Heat as a true small market team. Same applies to like the San Antonio Spurs, but I could understand how somebody might see them as such because they're not on the realm or pantheon of, let's say, the L.A. Lakers. Right. But they do have a base. And I think social media helps these teams. Now, the Denver Nuggets, on the other hand, who are the top seeded team in the West, I know that's a small market team. Mm-hmm. Even 
in spite of the great players that they've had over the last 20 plus years, with most notably as of current times, that being Nikola Jokic, the back-to-back reigning MVP. But why do you think we're seeing this current trend? Because when I look at it, even though it, there is a trend of parity, why do you believe that we're seeing it? Because some of these teams that we saying are underdogs, they don't really have true underdog makeup talent when you look at their roster. They got stars. It's just more so evenly balanced out as opposed to the previous decade with super teams where you had three guys joining forces to form these big threes in an effort to get to the finals. And it made fans sort of realize, well, pretty much if you forming these super teams, we know that at best it's only about two to three teams contending for the championship. You could say four to be nice, but it's really only two or three. Nowadays, it's wide open. Why do you think you know that is? Well, I think it, I think a lot of it has to be, has to come with the fact that yeah, like you said, um, stars are more uh, spread out when you talk about the teams that they're representing. But a lot of these teams are stars per se. When we talk about small market teams or smaller teams that haven't had the that doesn't haven't equated to a lot of success as of recent. Um, they were the aggressive ones. They pushed for this stuff. When you think about the Cleveland Cavaliers, they drafted well, but they pushed to get Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell got them over the hump to get to the playoffs. When you think about the New York Knicks, we always knew there was a point guard away. Yeah, they're a big market team. And then, you know, that's New York. That they, they run New York. But when was the last time they made the playoffs and actually went past the first round of a playoffs? It's been some years. 10 years before this year. Exactly. So they got a, they, they may not have a superstar, but they got a good quality star in Jalen Brunson that helped them get over the hump. Like these team, these, uh, these small market teams are being aggressive to a point where they're going to get the talent and the, and the type of players that they need, they know to get over the hump of things, which distributes the parity. And I think it's ideal for the league. The league needs that. Although they, the super team era was raw, it was fun, made me feel like 2K came alive. You know, that's perfectly fun, you know, perfectly fine. But it took away a lot of the competitive drives of games because you automatically knew who's going to win. This year, we saw a lot of close games. A lot of games are being pushed to the brink. And a lot of competitive uh, situations where games could have gone either way because the talents and the stars on the start, the star talents on those teams rose to the occasion in ways that if they were on super teams, you might not have actually experienced or even get to embrace and acknowledge and note and praise the fun, you know, that they bring to the table. So it, to be honest with you, I think it's, it's kind of, I think that's the biggest thing stars being spread out in such a way and the small and the smaller market teams, maybe not the big big markets, but smaller market teams, are being so aggressive in getting those stars. It's changing the way those markets are being looked at and represented. And the playoffs this year really showed what that looks like. I I state this as you make salient points in your assessment. I I state it like this: 
when it comes to what I make of the following trend, I can't say I'm surprised because we're currently in an NBA world where seeding don't mean nothing. And what I mean by that is you have veteran-laden teams that have years of playoff experience trying to figure out how to manage and get through what we know is the regular season, the 82-game grind. Some stars are going to play most nights. Some may not for reasons unknown, injury, personal, whatever. When that happens, teams aren't able to develop consistency maybe in a manner in which the fan or the columnist that serves as the beat writer for that team might like for them to do, or even the coaching staff on that team. But it's not about how you start in this league, and it's never about that in sports, as we know. It's always about how you finish. Mm -hmm. And you take a team like the Lakers, who got off to a sluggish start, show signs of life in December for a certain stretch. Then AD goes down. But everybody or anybody who followed the Lakers knew that they needed a point guard. So what do they do? They go out and they get D'Angelo Russell in a trade. They also needed a wing that could shoot and come in off the bench and not only shoot, but defend. Insert Rui Hachimura. Let those guys get ingrained in the system, figure their way out. All-star break roll around. You regroup, reassess some things. You come back. You post the best record among all the teams in the Western Conference post-All-Star break during the second half of the season. Everybody knew that they were the dark horse team. The only question was, is could they stay healthy? And could guys commit to playing defense at a high level, knocking down shots, et cetera? Austin Reeves even came into his own during mm -hmm. that time frame. You, you when, when, it, when it comes to parity, let me just say like this, when, when it comes to parity, the way I see it is parody been around in the NBA for a while. I've been alive for 29 years. The only teams in the NBA that I have never seen reach a conference finals or actually have a team that could get to the finals. Or I looked at it and said, well, this is a championship team is the new Orleans Pelicans and the Charlotte Hornets. Everybody's had a chance. Even Portland's had a chance. In my lifetime, Denver's yeah. had a chance on multiple occasions. Only difference now is, is that the parity seems greater because we're seeing teams come from opposite sides of the bracket going far farther rather than we least expected them to. That's the only difference. But you really can't look at seeding as much as you do the matchups. That's really what matters. 
That's that's really what matters. It's all about matchups, and it's really all about who the most healthiest and who the best when it comes to executing the half court and who's gonna get stops and who's gonna rebound. But I when when I when I look at the trend, I can't say that I'm surprised, but I think we're seeing it though, because this was David Stern's rest in peace. This was David Stern's dream. Mm-hmm. You know, when he set up the Derrick Rose rule. When he set up the Derrick Rose rule, you, you, you take that, for example, right? Mm-hmm. He was doing that to allow these young stars to qualify for higher salaries. And he was decentivizing player movement, which he saw from who? His biggest star in LeBron James. They try to create these ways for you to stay with the team in which you were drafted by. Because in order for you to leave, you got to take less money. Even though you can get a max deal elsewhere, it ain't going to be like it is with a place you was either drafted or traded to, and they have your bird rights. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a lot of that. And then they want an NFL business model. They don't want the player to be bigger than the game. Mm-hmm. The game now is much bigger than the player. And with social media, I can still be a superstar playing in Denver no differently than if I was a superstar playing in New York. I could be. And and, and that's because of social media. In the 90s, I didn't have that. The only way people would know about me is through VHS tapes if they didn't watch my games on the record. Now you got games on every night. Nationally televised, might I add. Streaming has changed the game. So it's a lot of factors into that. But when I look at parity or think about parity, the league has always been full of parity. I just don't think most fans have realized it until now because they see it in its truest form. And there aren't any super teams the way that there were a few years ago, even though to me, I think it woke a lot of teams up and made them realize if we really want to have a chance at winning, we got to build things the right way. Like you said, we got to draft well. We got to scout well. We got to make sure that we got high-level executives that have relationships with these players. You don't see agents make their way from negotiating deals to negotiating contracts on behalf of teams working as the president of basketball operations, a la Leon Rose, mm-hmm. you know, Bob Myers. And Gold State, etc. So I, I think it's a lot of things such as that, but I, I find it interesting because it's a trend that I think is here to stay. But do you believe that this current league-wide parity is here to stay, even though the league is trying to incentivize guys to play during the regular season with this all NBA award stuff? You know, we're giving out trophies to teams that win divisions. We got we got tournaments about to come up, in season tournaments where they trying to incentivize guys to play for money. I don't think that's gonna really work, but that's another story for another day. What's, what's your thoughts on that? I don't think it will last too much longer, because at the end of the day, as much as you can do everything you can to keep a player from staying, the player still has the option to go, and. With that player having the option to go, players have proven that they can jack, jack up the system a little bit. 
because the deal, because you can honestly thank Rich Paul for that. You make sure you get your contract, but as soon as you get your contract, wait a year or two and get the hell out of there. And oh, <laughs> that's that's the formula. And you've seen a lot of star players do that. Now, granted, some of them, you just knew they were coming because the situation didn't prove it. You just didn't need that for those stars to be there, a.k.a. Donovan Mitchell or, you know, Rudy Gobert. Those type of situations, they knew, like, okay, we're imploding. The team's going to blow up. So, therefore, we just let's get rid of the players that we got. But outside of that, you had a lot of players who they made sure they signed those deals in the offseason, but eventually they're going to make their way to get the heck up on out of there. And I think as long as that option is still out there, why, why, why would players want to get rid of that option? Why would they not want to, you know, evaluate that option or opportunity that could be on the table, especially if they're up for a new contract or they have a year left in their deal trying to get out? I, I just don't see how that could be. Not, I don't see how players can ignore that opportunity, especially in today's game. So I, don't, I think it's not going to last too much longer the players always going to have the right to have the player movement that they want. And Adam Silver is actually pro player movement. Um, so I just don't see it happening. I know player movement not going nowhere. Not in this day and age. We're going to see trade requests. Mm-hmm. If anything, that's the way to go, especially when you locked up into a max deal or a long-term contract and you're not happy in a given city or with a franchise and you want to get out of there. That's going to happen. What I'm talking about is like the league-wide parity where you, you're going to start seeing more teams that aren't a top four seed starting to, like, make these runs all of a sudden in the playoffs to where they're pushing towards a championship. And the reason why I say that is because, like, you, we just – we coming off a first round, bro, where you had the top seed with the best record in all of basketball in the Milwaukee Bucks go down in five games. Mm-hmm. You had the Memphis Grizzlies go down in six games and they had the second best record in the West. The reason why I think it's here to stay is because you take a team like Memphis, right, Josh? That's a young team. Yeah. They have the incentive to play hard during the regular season because you got guys still trying to pray for their bread. You know, granted, Jaron Jackson Jr. got his bread coming up with his super max John Morant does as well but you have young guys that have grown up in that system in a Spurs like way under Taylor Jenkins their head coach there who funny enough comes from under Greg Popovich coaching tree if I'm not mistaken like them guys got something to play for mm-hmm. whereas the Lakers veteran laden teams such as the Lakers the Warriors and we even seen it with the Clippers, albeit they lost in the first round against the Phoenix Suns, unfortunately, without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard due to injury. Like, I, I think it's here to stay because when you got top-seeded teams being young teams that ain't really been there or have little experience compared to these young, to, to these veteran laden teams, rather, I think it's going to be a common occurrence. Because, like, the Sacramento Kings was the number three seed in the West. If me and you was talking prior to 
the start of regular season and we projected Sacramento to be a top three seed in the West, a lot of people would have said, man, you crazy as hell. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought they'd make the playoffs, but I didn't think they'd make the playoffs in the way that they did. I thought they'd be a playing team, and I expected them to break that playoff drought, which was the longest in North American sports prior to them breaking it. But, like, yeah, do you believe that this league-wide parity is here to stay? Because you oh. got, like, we, we about to have a, we about to have either a seventh or a six-seeded team represent the West in the Western Conference Finals. That's kind of odd to think about. Like, you got to go all the way back to 1995 when the Houston Rockets won is a six seed to see some type stuff like that. Or during the lockout year, 98-99 with the New York Knicks when they was eight seed. No, yeah, when you break it down that way, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, okay. And you kept on talking about the young teams that are rising and, take, and, rising and taking over uh, these conferences. There's two teams that's on the rise too that we haven't even mentioned yet that could have been in these playoffs, and that's the New Orleans Pelicans, right, and Oklahoma City Thunder, right. And both of those teams could have easily changed the landscape, especially Oklahoma City Thunder, because they're ahead of schedule just like the Kings are. So, yeah, I I, I agree with you when you break it down in that sense. Um, I was definitely thinking more of the player aspect. Yeah, I know but, that ain't gonna change. Yeah, that because I was like, yeah, that 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 can't change. But you talk about the teams overall, yeah, because and it's and honestly, it's about time. It's about time because of all the success from um, the star-loaded teams that have seen the promised land in a lot of ways, a lot more than these teams like the Kings have. And it's about time for those franchises to turn around. It's time for the Pelicans to turn around. It's time for Oklahoma City to get back to where they were at one point. You know, these young teams are gonna they're coming and rightfully so and deserving of it, they should. And this first round of the playoffs showed how special this new turnaround and like you said, this new trend really can be if you pay attention to what we're really watching instead of being so big named, star named. What you're really watching is greatness at its finest that is actually transitioning. It's not just there to stay. But it's transitioning to these younger teams, and these teams are ready to snatch it over time. Yeah, and not only these teams, but these players. It's yeah. definitely a new age and era in the NBA. And you have to notice if you're a guy who is a fan of individual players, such as LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, James Harden. Like, these guys aren't the fresh phenoms anymore you know you got a lot of young guys coming up and yeah i do believe that the league wide parity is here to stay like we didn't even bring up the minnesota timberwolves who in spite of some questions about how certain pieces fit there i think everybody in america knows after watching the first round that anthony edwards is indeed a superstar who alex rodriguez is the owner of that franchise that will be soon taken over fully in the next couple of years. Like he knows he has a superstar player that he could build a quality roster around. Should he aspire to do that in a small market and those stars don't grow on trees like that. So I, I yeah, I think it's here to stay. And the reason why is because the younger teams are going to be more incentivized to go after top seeds. Whereas these veteran laden squads, they just trying to get in the top six. 
if you can avoid the play-in, that's a win. Because you can throw out all that home and road record stuff come this time of year. It's just all about the tip of the ball and who going to execute. Like, because I remember when I was a kid, everybody used to think because you had home court advantage that it was the end-all, be-all. Mm-hmm. It don't look like that no more. Yep, times have changed, man. And if anything, when you talk about what that could look like, I mean, we just talked about Golden State. They are literally one of the worst road teams in the whole entire NBA in the regular season. Exactly. But yet they run, they won the road games they needed to when it mattered most. They won game five and they won game seven. Most critical games on the road that they needed to win to close this series out. And it might I add, both of those games were done in, in dramatic fashion. Now, you know, game seven was the more with the big bang, but game five was pretty uh was pretty legit too, to a point where, you know, you knew the Warriors weren't gonna just die like that. They let it, they sent a message in that game to that to the king. So because of that, yeah, that yeah, those records don't matter. It's a matter about playing your best basketball. In the, in, in the later moments of the season and at the right time and bringing that to go along with, like you said, health. You do that, you're always going to have a prime chance to win. And we've seen what that looks like. Yeah, especially if you have the talent. But I want to carry it over to assessing the state of a pair of teams that got sent home early. A pair of teams that many people believe had a legitimate shot of competing for a championship early on in the season. Teams that we've talked about many times on open run, starting with the Memphis Grizzlies. They -hmm. finished the year with a 51 and 31 record through 82 games, which was good enough to help them earn the number two seed in the West for the second straight year entering the postseason. They set a franchise mark going 35 and six at home in front of their fans at the FedEx Forum this season, marking the NBA's best home record since Golden State managed to capture 36 games during the regular season and route to capturing the championship during the 2016-17 campaign. John Morant earned his second All-Star nod this year on the way to averaging the franchise best 26.2 points per game, but had to find a way to go about dealing with a series of off-the-court issues as he was suspended for eight games back in March for conduct deemed detrimental to the league. Jaron Jackson Jr. stepped up mightily in the wake of Steven Adams' season-ending knee injury, averaging a career-high 18.6 points and 6.8 rebounds on the way to leading the league with three blocks per game as the former Michigan State standout earned his first trip to the All-Star game this year besides Morant on the way to taking home defensive player of the year honors. But as we know, this team got devastated and besieged by injury. Guys like Steven Adams, as well as his backup center, Brandon Clark. You know, they got they, their, their years got cut short, and that proved to be too much for them to come back from as they were dispatched out of the playoffs by the Lakers in round one. Dylan Brooks, he's the longest current tenured player on their roster, and he's managed to evolve into one of the game's best wing defenders, becoming a fan favorite in the city of Memphis. He's set to become an unrestricted free agent this summer. They hold a club option on Xavier Tillman, and they currently hold the 25th overall pick in the upcoming draft this June. This team posted back-to-back 
50 win campaigns for the first time since that grit and grind era during 2013-14 and 14-15 seasons with the likes of Mark Gasol, Zach Randolph, Mike Conley, Chicago's own, Tony Allen, as they was led behind the likes of head coaches such as Lionel Hollins and Dave Yeager during that time frame. What do you make of this year's Grizzly squad in their most recent season? They got some retooling to do. They got some retooling to do. Okay. Um, as great as the team was this year, the best the players that they needed to come through the most shrunk in the biggest moments. And not just defensively, but offensively. Dylan Brooks could have shoot for a lick in that Lakers season. Um, or that Lakers series, my bad. Mm-hmm. Um at times, Desmond Bain struggled. Um, where was Luke Kennard? You got a shooter on your team, but he wasn't, and he shot over 50% from the field this year. He didn't shoot that nearly that in this playoff series. You get, and if anything, this also opens the door to realize okay, Steven Adams is gone. Do you have a true backup for your big men? Because once he's gone and Brandon Clark is gone, you obviously knew that they didn't have anything else. Um, I think the team, as great as those other players are, they should look into getting better quality role players that can support John Moret and Triple J. Um, that means you got a question, even though Dylan Brooks is pretty much the heart and soul of this team, we talk about intensity, aggression, um, attitude, et cetera. You got to look at maybe you got to look at do you want to send him take you know bring him back, especially if he's looking for the type of money that quite frankly, you know may not be what Memphis needs to invest in. Um, and if you do, are willing to give those uh give that money up, you got to get some quality shooters to help support what Jaws doing. And we talked about this honestly. I think either last show or the show before that about Memphis potentially looking at going to get Debo. Yeah, yeah. with Drew. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about that. Yeah, and you, and it actually makes sense for them because as great as Ja is, um, you need someone that can not only get their own bucket, but they can also be clutch in the, in the clutch moments, be your closer. And um, DeMar DeRose is one of those guys that can get it done. Um, they need, but the but Memphis needs veteran leadership as well in that locker room, man. Because uh, that young squad needs to need, need they got some growing up to do. They got some growing up to do, and it would be nice to get veteran leadership that can help make that growth process and that transition that much smoother. Um, they, but they're not too far out. They're really not too far out. They just need to retool. Get some more consistent shooting. Um, maybe look into additional depth in the big man department, considering that even though you have Steven Adams, what you had with Black Brandon Clark and then uh, being out of the series, it was that detrimental to uh, the lack of production in that department. But getting that, and I would look to find a veteran player or two that can help with that locker room, but especially a veteran pl- player that can help aid that offense when they need it the most, I think that would make take help really take Memphis to the next level as they learn 
from these consistent years of going in and out of the playoffs. Um, it's still got some growing up to do, but they're not as far off as we may think. So if you as Grizzlies general manager, Zach Kleiman, you saying that you would go after a veteran score and that you would look to part ways with Dylan Brooks. And the reason why I asked that, because, you know, I don't know if you got, got a chance to catch his end of the year press conference, but in the wake of Memphis's first round exit, he was very noncommittal when it came to Dylan Brooks's future in Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I definitely heard that. Um, there were some reports um, that did come out around that same time that said that Memphis was trying to get rid of him even before, you know, the, yeah, the trade the deadline. deadline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were trying to get rid of him then. So because of that, um, yeah, I think Dylan Brooks kind of feels and knows that his time is coming to an end over there. Um, so what are you going to replace that with? Well, Memphis needs at the present moment better options to score because if Desmond Bain ain't hitting – and Luke Kennard's not hitting from three, you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> you got you to gotta hope Jar and, and uh, Triple J go off, right? They need some addition. They need someone that not just can shoot the ball, but really can score the ball, get a bucket whenever. That can help Jar out. And, you know, some of those options are available. But, yeah, Dylan Brooks is not the answer to advance the Memphis Grizzlies. He's a great, he's a great asset if he's willing to take less money and play a role that fits his three and D memo. But at the end of the day, they, if they want to advance, yeah, you got to upgrade that position. You got to upgrade that area. And Dylan Brooks has proven that as of right now, he's not your, he's not your solution to that problem. It's funny. We having this conversation about them, especially when you bring up, the conversation that you, myself, and Drew had about the possibilities of Memphis potentially being interested in DeMar DeRozan. We was talking about the Bulls and reviewing their season. Mm -hmm. What I make out of the Grizzlies' most recent season is that they had a great regular season like they did last year, and I expected that. Hey, FedEx Forum always been a tough place to play, the grindhouse. You know, those fans get loud. Mm-hmm. It's easy It's easy to pick up your game. And with the way John Morant is playing there and with the way the fans in the city love him, I expect that. But y'all right. They do need a veteran wing. I don't know if DeMar DeRozan is the guy, but I think he's the guy that, or at least one of the guys that they need to have their eyes on. Mm-hmm. Another guy I would like for them to potentially look at, and I thought they should have made a move for at the trade deadline, is Boyan Bogdanovich. Mm. Boyan Bogdanovich is a guy who I think could take a lot of pressure off of John Morant as a shot creator. And that's what he needs. I think Desmond Bain has grown to become a playmaker on a secondary basis for an offense. But Desmond Bain is more so of a scorer, you know, who if you got somebody that can set him up for catch and shoot looks outside of Ja, or that could put some pressure on the paint with his ability to drive, that's even better. You can't Mm -hmm. have enough shot creators, especially come 
time in the playoffs. They didn't have, and like you said, when guys are missing shots, such as Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard and Dylan Brooks, you need a vet that's going to step up and be able to execute some in the half court, especially when you know that these teams are going to be collapsing on Ja on every drive or, you know, seeking a double team. Somebody they could kick it out to would be that safety valve. I think a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich could do it. And Memphis has the draft capital to make a move like that because as I look at their picks, right, they got their own first-round draft pick. They got a second-round pick from the Clippers. They got another second-round pick from the Timberwolves as part of that Walker-Kessler trade. They own the Warriors' first-round pick in 2024, even though that's top four protected, including their own. They got two first-round picks in 2024. Like, they got a net load of draft capital from, like, 2023 all the way down to, like, 2025. They got three first-round – no, they got two first-round picks in 2024. They got to give up one of them draft picks to get a veteran wing. If mm-hmm. Bojan Bogdanovic is not available, look, Washington just fired their GM. They longtime GM, Tommy Shepard. Mm-hmm. There's no telling what direction the Washington Wizards want to go in. If Kyle Kuzma is available, make the call. That's a guy that's won a championship, been there, done that, and can get a bucket. Yeah. In the isolation. You know, they, they definitely need a veteran wing. They do. It, it was obvious to me from the moment I saw them play on Christmas Day against the Warriors when they got annihilated. And you definitely need a guy like that with a when you have a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr., who is great as he is on both ends of the floor, and we know he can shoot the three ball, when he gets into foul trouble, puts so much pressure on guys like John Dez. They need that number three option. They need that number three option. They need it bad. But if I was, if I was Zach Kleiman, that's what I would seek to do. I don't think they're going to re-sign Dylan Brooks either. I don't. I think Dylan Brooks is going to have to find another home. And he will. He's a serviceable player in the league, more than serviceable, might I add. You know, he could do multiple things. But there were times where, you know, he was inconsistent and up and down. And not trying to throw no shade at Dylan Brooks whatsoever, but, like, he's the type of guy who can either shoot you in the game or he can shoot you out of a game. And he can impact the game you know, on other levels, such as defensively, you know, even if he goes 0 for 8 or whatever, he can have an impact defensively. But when you playing against a guy like LeBron James in a best-of-seven series, and you know how LeBron coming, and you're not able to match or at least halfway match him, you know, when it comes to scoring, that's tough. That's tough, especially when you look at the roster that the Lakers have built and the depth that they have from top to bottom, even though a lot of people may like to question Darvin Ham's rotation, including me sometimes. But, you know, that that's 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 something that if I was a Grizz, I would look at. They got to get a veteran wing. A center, I wouldn't mind them getting a backup center. But a veteran wing, I think, is, is, is of utmost importance. Because if you don't, then what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up putting a lot of pressure on a guy like Zaire Williams to step up. And even though I think Zaire Williams is a great young player, 
who can emerge and find himself in this league, having a veteran to teach him the ropes a little bit while he serves in a contributing role off the bench, I think that might be a better option for Memphis. No, I, I agree with you. I, I want to ask you this, though. Do you think it's time to potentially put Taylor Jenkins on the clock? And I asked that. Taylor Jenkins? Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, Taylor Jenkins. And I'm asking because he, ever since he's been there, yes, he's changed the Grizzlies franchise around. They've made the playoffs. They haven't gone to a finals, a Western Conference finals. I think they made it to the second round of the playoffs in 2021 against after they beat the Warriors in the first round, I want to say. They made it last year the second round. But last year, okay. Last, last year they made it to the second round. They got they, after they beat the Warriors in the play in, they lost in five to Utah. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So do you think it's time to maybe put him on a que- to question him moving forward? And especially since, you know, it doesn't apply to every tree, but you mentioned he comes from the top of his tree. It's very similar to the NFL. Everyone talks about Sean McVay's tree. Just because Sean McVay is successful and then went to the Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl doesn't mean the rest of that tree is going to do the same. It's applicable to Greg Popovich as well. Greg Popovich has been very successful as a head coach, won a plethora of NBA Finals, been to a plethora of NBA Finals. But from the coaching tree perspective, not too many of them have had the best postseason success. So you have to question, just like we questioned Billy Donovan and the limitations that he might have as a coach. Do you think Taylor Jenkins has what it takes to take Memphis past where they've already gone you know that that's that's a question i haven't really thought about but i think i may need to give some thought to when you ask it because i i I really can't say that it's not a legitimate question because memphis struggles offensively in the half court especially late in games and someone has to take accountability for that and usually that falls on the head coach with that said though i don't think it's time just yet he's been in memphis for four seasons his first year was i believe before john morant came there so, like, you know, he he's actually I take that back. Him and Ja came into the to Memphis together. You know, so he he's been with Ja the whole ride. He's 179 and 30 as a coach, 579 win-loss percentage. I, I would hold on to him. And the reason why he's a young coach, when he got that job, he was extremely young. I want to say he was about 35, because Taylor Jenkins is 38 now. So, and I think he is one of the best young coaches in the league. He has established a strong culture there. I would give him another year or two to see how things are working. And then after that, I would make an assessment, a very close assessment. Now, if this team doesn't seek to take a step up in regards to how they perform in the postseason next year, 
Like if it was another first round exit, then I think that's a real that becomes an even more interesting question, rather. But right now, I, I, I will hold on to Taylor Jenkins. You know, that guy, he done coach on the G League level. He he kind of remind me of Nick Nurse in some ways. You know, he ain't afraid to tinker and experiment with new things. I I I like, I just think that maybe having, you know, a few more pieces here and there can help spice up some things in an effort for Memphis to not only continue to ascend in the West, but eventually go on a deeper playoff run. Like, this team's still young. Then on top of that, too, you know, as we know, as much as I love this team because they're a young and fun team to watch, and, yeah, they talk a lot of trash, which I know a lot of NBA vets loathe, but they got some maturity issues. And he said something in that press conference that I hope guys on that team take the heart. And he said, hey, man, we got to grow up. And hopefully this experience that we went through in Los, against Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, losing and getting our ass kicked, basically, hopefully we, we, we learn from that and say not again. I, I think Taylor Jenkins is the, the right guy for this group as of right now. I, I, I'll say that. And not only is he a, a pop disciple, he's a bud disciple because he came over to Memphis from Milwaukee where he's an assistant. So I, I like Taylor Jenkins when I would give him another two years. I mean, he's a, he's a young coach and for a guy that's under 40 doing what he's doing with this, this roster. I mean, they've been over 500 every year since their experience in the bubble. No, I feel that. Um, and that's kind of why I asked the question because, yeah. um, because he does remind me in a lot of ways like Nick Nurse. And Nick Nurse was the same way. You know, when he finally got that coaching opportunity in Toronto, you know, he was a good coach, but Toronto had to make a splash. And they, they did. Cool. Right. And they made, once they made that splash, it made it easy for Nick Nurse to do what he does best and to turn that franchise around. Um, I'm not saying Memphis has to do the same, but they have to go along some of the similar path of getting someone else of a veteran caliber that can that you can pair up with Ja, so that way they can help some of the issues that Taylor Jenkins is experiencing that Nick Nurse didn't experience until later in his coaching career in Toronto with that half court setup, and that's and I and that's just a question mark as to what Memphis is really going to do because they really haven't had to do much, pretty much since they drafted Ja and, Tri- and Triple J and Dylan Brooks as well. They drafted and Des Bain and Des yeah, Bain. Des Bain. They drafted well. They yeah. scouted well. They've done a hell of a job on that front. They had to let these guys find themselves in the league and learn how to play with one another. I think they've mastered that part. Now they got to make a move. You're right. Because when you getting, or when you finishing, rather, in the top two of your conference in back-to-back seasons, you in the, you in the hunt for the championship. So, as far as I'm concerned, so when I when I look at that, yeah, they, they got to make a move. And getting a guy like DeMar DeRozan in, over there, that'd be a big-time move for them. A, a experienced, well-traveled vet, you know, who will teach them guys a lot. And I know you can speak to that for yourself, covering the Bulls and knowing the work that he's done with guys like Pat Williams in the offseason, yeah. taking them under their wing, et cetera. I.O., you know, so 
those guys, I believe, would love him. And if you, or even if you get a guy like Kyle Kuzma, even though he's younger, he knows what it's like to have to sacrifice and play in a complimentary role next to a star. But at the same time, if you need him on a given night with one of your main guys out, he can give you 25 or 30. You know, so I, 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 it's options out there. It's a yeah. ton of options. Even let's say hypothetically, if Chris Middleton was to opt out the final year of his deal in Milwaukee, that's an option. You know, they, they have they have options for when it comes to veteran wings. They have a ton of options. And if they want to go after a backup big and really get greedy, they get a guy like Nas Reed in there. I mean, it, 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 they got options. It's a matter of what does Robert Perra is the owner of that franchise. Zach Kleiman is the GM of the Grizzlies want to do in an effort to try and bring a Larry O'Brien trophy down Bill Street. We agree, man. Yeah, but I, I want to get into the Milwaukee Bucks. This was the team that nobody expected to be sitting on the couch by the 1st of May. But here we are. They finished the regular season with the best record in all of basketball, going 58-24 on the year under head coach Mike Budenholzer in his fifth season with the franchise. They had a stretch during the regular season between late January up until the beginning of March where they won a league-best 16 consecutive games before dropping a contest late at home against Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. Giannis Antetokounmpo became the first player in NBA history to average 30-plus points, 10-plus rebounds, and 5-plus assists per night while shooting at least 55% or better from the floor on the way to becoming a finalist for the league's MVP award and more than likely also submitting himself for a spot on the All-NBA first team for the fifth year in a row. Bobby Portis had a stellar year off the bench on the way to being named as a finalist candidate for the six-man award, averaging nearly a double-double on the way to accumulating 38 total double-doubles this year to lead all reserves and finish ninth overall in that department across the league during the regular season playing in 70 games. Drew Holiday earned his second All-Star nod 10 years after earning his initial one, averaging nearly 20 to go along with 7.4 assists and 5.1 boards per game in his third year with the Bucks. Besides the man in the middle, Brooke Lopez, who's nearly three blocks a game, helped him become a finalist for the Defensive Player of the Year award. As I brought up earlier, Chris Middleton, who dealt with a sore right knee over the course of the year, missed early parts of the season due to recovering from an off-season wrist injury, has until June 29th to decide whether or not he would like to opt in and play out the fifth and final year of his current deal with the Bucks, which would grant him $40.3 million next year, or opt out to determine his value on the free agency marketplace as an unrestricted free agent. This team, Josh, they got a lot of free agents, man, that's unrestricted. Brooke Lopez, Jay Crowder, Wesley Matthews, Joe Ingles, Goran Dragic, Jevin Carter, as well as Giannis' brother, Thanasis. Um, they hold no first-round draft picks to date, and they currently only have just one second-round pick of their own for this year's draft. Um, two years ago, man, we know where the Bucks were. They were celebrating their first championship in over half a century. For the second year in a row, the Bucks find themselves at home before the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you make of Milwaukee's recent season? 
I know Giannis said that it's not a failure in his eyes. And when he put it all together in, in, in his own words, I understand why he feels that way. But do you think it's a failure? And whether you do or not, what do you think John Horst, the general manager over there, got to do in order to ensure that Milwaukee regains its place atop the East sometime soon? Because, man, this team, when they was on that 16-game winning streak, they looked like an automatic lock to make the finals. The season is for sure a failure. And it's because as much as we really want to think about it, Giannis, what Giannis said wasn't wrong. He was right. He was I right. Agree with what that too, he said. Yeah. But you can't look at yourself as a small market team that's just here to survive anymore. You've elevated this franchise to win its first championship. You are now not, you're not the hunter. You're now being hunted. Because of that, it's champion or bust for you no matter what. You're a top player in the league representing the franchise that's now you know, whose culture has shifted. You have, that means your expectations have to change. You can't sit here and tell me you idolized Kobe Bryant. And you know, this man, every season, it don't matter <laughs> if he was, it don't matter what players he had. His mindset was championship or bust because that's what matters when you're playing for a franchise that has a history of winning, has a culture of winning. When they tell you at the front of the gate, Hey, it's time to put up or shut up. You're going to put in this work or you're going to get sent home. We don't want you here because that's what we're known for. It's winning titles. You, you've now created that type of demographic in Milwaukee. So you can't go to a podium and say, oh, it wasn't a failure. Yeah, it was. That's two straight seasons after you busted your butt to drop a 50-piece in game six to win the NBA championship on your home floor. There's levels to this, and you are now at you now achieved one of the highest levels of success in the NBA and the professional basketball realm. Therefore, you cannot regress in such a way where you look at every season after this, especially since you made it very made it very clear that after you won the finals, I got to find a way to get back here again. I got to win again. You can't sit here and say that and then come back two years later and say, oh, well, it's not a failure. No, expectations have changed. Times have changed. You played a role in that changing. So your mindset got to change. That being said, Bucks got some moves to make. They got some decisions to make. Because at the end of the day, you know what really kind of costed them? They lost P.J. Tucker. They didn't have a P.J. Tucker on this team. And if they did with Jay Crowder, he barely played or not played at all. Because the guy that killed him this whole series was a, was, a, was a perimeter defender or a perimeter offensive player, an all-around player. That P.J. Tucker, when he was there, shut him down. You need someone that is a, that's a defensive stopper on the perimeter that get, brings the physicality that P.J. Tucker brought. And you had that technically in a more watered-down version with Jay Crowder. And you chose not to use him. 
And then Giannis came out publicly and said, I respect my coach. But I wanted to guard Jimmy Butler more than he would allow me to. You need someone that's going to have to know what it, have what it takes to do what Drew Holiday does, but on other defenders. Because at the end of the day, the Eastern Conference has a lot of perimeter scores. And if you don't, even though you roll through the West, through the, uh, the NBA season, and uh, in the playoffs that we know, it is a half-court game. And in a half-court game, that's where the best scorers in the league are exposed at the highest levels, which means you need to have the best defenders expose them on a higher level. And they haven't had that since P.J. Tucker. So they need to get someone like that in that locker room first. And then, to be honest with you, you got to bring as many people back as you can because what are you going to replace them with? You, you traded all your picks. So you don't have any actual tradable assets. And, you know, the same team that you, I pretty much almost won a championship with is the same team that you've been getting to the plus consistently with. So I wouldn't say do too many changes with the roster except bring in someone that can continue shooting, but also bring that PJ Tucker effect and really use that to their advantage. Um, but if I'm also the GM, my boot noser. I'm glad you bought him up. Oh, I, was get, I was getting there. I was yeah. getting there. I was going to set you up and ask you that. I know it was reported that he lost a family member mm-hmm. in the middle of the series against Miami. And I, I don't know. I'm not going to say I don't know. I can, I, I can rather only imagine how much that impacted him. Yeah. Because he made a lot of decisions that were unlike him in some ways, even though he's had blunders in playoffs past. Some people, including myself, are of the belief that had the Bucs not won a championship two years ago, and if not for Kevin Durant, you know, and his shoes being a little too big mm-hmm. when he hit that shot to yep. tie the game and send it into overtime, which was I know he really wanted to be a three. Had that not, but had that been a game winner, a lot of people think Boonehoser would have been out of Milwaukee in 2021. I agree. Do, 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 you, do, do you think, do you think the Bucs need to make that move and, and make a decision to let Mike Boonehoser go? I do. I do. And the reason why is because you need a different perspective now. You need a different voice. Um, there's no coincidence that in back-to-back years after you won a championship, you regressed to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals with a Giannis in his prime and surrounding talent around him that is quality talent to win a championship because you won it with them before. Something has to change. Something has to give. And Mike Budenholzer, even though, yes, what he experienced was tragic and is very unfortunate. And we definitely have to send, we definitely send his condolences to the family, but you got a job to get paid to win. And there's certain expectations that you just can't regress from. 
And unfortunately, the, the Bucks fell backwards ever since that championship. And you gotta get and you gotta get back to the hump. You gotta get back to the rise. And I just I just feel that not just the fact that it was inevitable that in his own way he dug his own grave with the calls that he made and the choices and adjustments that he made that costed him that series. But when your best player comes out and says, I have a disagreement with what you just did in the way that he did. If I'm a GM, how can I not question that? How can I not put that in my back pocket saying that, dang, my, my best player on the team just called out my coach. Something has to, you, 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 you have to at least evaluate what you really got on your, on your, on your staff to go along with this roster. And I think it's time for the Bucks to move forward to someone else who has that winning mindset that can work with the star talent that's on this roster. Because Budenholzer has been getting by the scathing of his teeth in a lot of ways. Um, and that championship did save his job. But now it's time. I, I do believe that it's time to move on. You know, usually if a top seed doesn't finish without the Larry O'Brien trophy, depending on which round they exited, I might not look at it as a failure. Because sometimes, as I say many times, and I always tell people, and I stick by this, the NBA playoffs is all about matchups and who can execute in a half-court game. Mm -hmm. Milwaukee, when it comes to the half-court from an offensive standpoint, not really one of the best teams in the league. The yeah. team that they lost to, not really one of the best teams in the league executing the half court. They just had a guy that wasn't going to be denied. But it's a failure. And the reason why is because when you're a number one seed and you have the best record in all of the league, all eyes are on you. And when you lose in round one, that's tough. I think this year's loss in the playoffs is harder to swallow than the loss they had last year against Boston in game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinal. You know, because this is the type of loss that a drive guys crazy in the summer. Mm-hmm. You'd be like Tony Soprano. How could this happen? Why did it happen? <laughs> you know, and, and and to me, it was a hell of a year. But unfortunately, it was a failure. And I'm not saying it was a failure because they didn't win a championship. It was the way that they went out. Right. You couldn't hear a pin drop in the Pfizer form. Mm -hmm. When I saw that game in live time, all I'm thinking about to myself is, I've never seen that. And I felt like I was watching what was shown to me in VHS tapes as a kid when the Denver Nuggets went in as an AC and knocked off the Seattle Supersonics. Yep. But back then, it was a best of five series in the first round as opposed to a best of seven. 
Right. Anything could happen. This series, they were down 3-1. And I know Giannis' injury definitely played a big role in that. But Miami was down a man, too. Mm-hmm. And I thought the Bucks were in trouble because we talked about that when John Giannis went down in game one. Which team is going to have a more uphill battle, Memphis or Milwaukee? I felt like Milwaukee because I seen this team without Giannis, even in non-Giannis minutes when he was on the floor and they were barely able to survive. Yep. I think John Horst definitely has to make a move. One move I would like for him to make, you say they need to get a guy like P.J. Tucker, a guy that's an enforcer, a guy that's going to take it upon himself to check the best opposing wings that the league has to offer on a night-to-night basis, including the playoffs. I don't know if this guy is up for the task, but I think he can definitely help them and take the place of Chris Middleton if necessary in their lineup, and that's Gary Trent Jr. Mm. That's Gary Trent Jr. Giannis needs a guy that's going to take some pressure off of him offensively. I love Giannis Antetokounmpo as a talent. There's There's nothing greater than having the privilege of watching him play, and he's pushing the ball on the break, out in transition. And you know it's coming. You know it's coming. And there's nothing you can do to stop him. But it's something about when the game gets down the stretch and a bucket is needed, where unless if it's within the restricted area, he seems to be very hesitant when it comes to shooting the ball. Yep. That's why you need a guy like Gary Trent Jr. in the mix. Gary Trent Jr. will take pressure not only off of Giannis, he'll take pressure off of Drew. Drew had to create a lot of times in clutch situations for this group, especially in games in which Chris Middleton wasn't able to either suit up or was really, you know, going through a sluggish period. They gotta get a. They gotta get a. They gotta get a third guy in there. They gotta get a number three option to be similar to the way that Memphis does, or they could seek to go big game hunting. I just talked about Gary Trent Jr. You want to go big game hunting? I know they haven't put him up on the market, but Toronto they need to really think about the future of their team. If I'm Milwaukee, I'm interested in Pascal Siakam. I'm very interested. Brooke Lopez is a free agent. You lose Brooke Lopez, you're losing a guy who's been one of your top catch and shoot options. You're losing a guy who, I'm not going to say he's the defensive anchor, but within Budenholzer's defensive coverages for the majority of his time in Milwaukee, he was the guy who the Bucks were trying to funnel guys too so like if you was driving i'm gonna swat it out or i'm gonna alter your shot because i want you to take these threes you're not coming inside this paint you lose him that's a big part of your identity 
And Brooke, ever since they got Brooke Lopez over there, that's really when they started taking off. But Brooke ain't no young dude. We talk about a guy that's in his mid-30s. You get, you get a lot younger with Pascal Siakam. And Pascal Siakam can also carry you on the night where Giannis need to sit. And like you said, the Milwaukee Bucks are a team that should no longer be looked at as a true small market franchise when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo. They are a small market franchise, but they have developed a brand there and an identity. And it's through Giannis. They are, in an essence, the new Cleveland. Yeah. So now that you built this brand, let's see how you can make it great. Like they, I, I, I need to see some reports that maybe the Bucks are interested in Damian Lillard. I need to, you know, like, because this is a team that when you have a top five player and Giannis on your roster, you can't afford to waste these years. And you notice he hasn't signed off on an extension. Yeah. You got to give guys like Giannis a reason to do that. No, that, that's very true. Um, I think what's also hurting this Bucks team is the fact that Giannis has now become or what you see is what you get. You don't know if you're going to see a more developed player in Giannis. Now, one of the ways that, and you can just tell because offensively, you get the same thing all the time. Head hunting, I'm going downhill. Yep. You're not going to get him to stop and pull up for a jump shot too much. Even though he has improved his jump shot, he's not, it's not like he's taking a lot of threes. It's not like he's trying to do dribble, different uh, dribble matchups, dribble pull-up games within the skill set that he can do, you know, to help aid this offense to make the offense easier. But he, he, is, is, he always will have his go-to, which is I'm going downhill, stop me if you can. Stop me and I get it. That's the bread and butter. That works. But I also think he's also realized over the years, especially since they won that championship, Playoffs is going to be monitored and more focused on that. So you got to develop your game in such a way where once you expect that, you can still do it. We may not be able to do it as much or do it without fouling as much because he's also been getting into a lot of foul trouble situations as well this season um, because of that. So if we know that this is the Giannis we're going to get and that's all we're going to get, we're not going to get a more polished version or developed version of Giannis anymore, that should paint the picture clear to you of what you need to surround him with. And I think they had an idea of what that looks like, but now the picture is really clear because you saw what Giannis was going to, is going to be for the past couple of years now. And you saw the end result of what that looks like. No matter how dominant he is, you need to, they need to retool the possible resources to help take Giannis's game that much further because of the fact that when playoff time comes his game as a reason has become so limited and you know what too I'm glad you brought that up when it comes to Giannis I think he's expanded in some areas one he's become an exceptional passer out of double teams yes which was something that 
when he was going up against the Raptors in the 2019 conference finals, he struggled with. So he he's expanded in that area and he's developed sure slowly, but surely I'd say a mid range jumper. Mm -hmm. Now he has to continue to tighten that up in my opinion. And another thing he got to tighten up is his free throw shooting. Yep. Giannis got to the line 12 times a game. And I'm going to tell you how I know it's important. I was in a game this season. Saw Giannis twice, actually. But I was in one game this season where Giannis could have messed around and had 50 points. Now, he had multiple 50-point games. But mm -hmm. he really could have had another one here in the city of win if he had just knocked down half of his free throws. That's what cost him. And even though that game ended up in an overtime loss, and I'm pretty sure it don't matter to him how many points he scores as long as he gets a win, that helps his team. There's so many people I remember when LeBron was searching to win multiple championships early on in his career. People bring up his free throw shooting. Well, yep. He only shoot like 75%. Giannis is a career 70% free throw shooter. But this year, he shot around 65% from the free throw line in the regular season. In the playoffs, in the playoffs, he shot 45% through three games. And he got to the line. 10 times you can't get to the line 10 times and not at least make six or seven out of 10 consistently that will kill you in the playoffs and he has to learn how to do that and i would love to see him acquire a post game yes because he really don't have to take the three he don't have to take that shot he shouldn't take no more then about maybe two to three threes a game at best. And that's if he's hot from there on a given night. He don't have to do that. He's so physically gifted and skilled and dominant, and he going to get the whistle. Because don't no player in the league get the whistle like Giannis. Yep. No player. If you really watch basketball on a night-by-night -night basis, no player gets it more. Not even Luka Doncic. No, that that's true. It, as as the leader of the franchise, the reason why they won a championship, you have to find consistent ways to keep your team afloat and air in, in ways for you to give your team a chance. And in that Miami series, they had a lot of chances, man. And they were and Giannis up front helped blow a lot of those chances. And yes, like you said, granted, he got hurt, missed a couple games, tried to get himself back together. You know, that's going to take time. But dude, when your number's calling you the best player on the floor, expectations are different than anyone else on, your, on that roster. It's right. on you. So you got to come through. And I'm glad you said it. There was moments where he chickened out, man. That's just the reality. He chickened out. He didn't want the ball. Mm -mm. Remember, he almost threw the ball out of bounds on the jump ball. 
prior to the game going into overtime in game five. As soon as he got the ball, after it was tipped to him, he immediately passed it. And it almost went out of bounds, but Chris Middleton made a hell of a save. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that lets me know that he was really struggling from the free throw line to the point to where it was affecting him mentally. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to, you know, say he weak or he soft or nothing like that. I'm not going to go in on him like that. But that let me know right then and there in that moment that, like, he need another guy with him. Not saying that he can't be the main guy. He is the main guy because he's the centerpiece. He's the one that's going to attract you to that market. Otherwise, we're not paying attention to what's transpiring in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, year after year. That's a fact. I would have never went to Milwaukee through one for Yanni, but it, to watch a game. That's that's the truth. But it's it's just it, it's something that he has to work on. It, it's something that he definitely has to work on. And if he can find a way to put that together, that would be a huge difference maker. But I want to get into these conference semifinal matchups. We got Miami up one to nothing against New York. In the Eastern Conference semifinals, we got Philadelphia and Boston playing a, a hard-fought game one that's looking like it's going to come down to the wire. Mm-hmm. Denver up one game to nothing against Phoenix. That game will be set to tip off shortly on the evening in which we're recording this episode at the top of the week. And then you got the Lakers and Golden State coming up later this week. Among those conference semifinal matchups, which series are you looking forward to watching the most in the conference semifinal round? Denver and Phoenix. I'm going Denver and Phoenix. Because game one showed you that Jamal Murray's back. That dude is back. And the fact that he is... He showed up on a big way to help, you know, carry this Denver Nuggets team to the win. We also got to be mindful that Phoenix does have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and they're not the ones you can't expect them to go down after losing the game the way that they did like that. They're going to come back firing. And Denver, as great as they are, when you talk about overall talent, and ain't, ain't KD and Devin Booker on that roster. So I'm interested to see how Kevin Durant and Devin Booker come back from that loss and how they pan out the rest of the series. Because me, because we have to be mindful, too. All they got to do is win one road game. They win that one road game. It could be a nightmare for Phoenix, I mean, for Denver going, into, going to the desert to play three straight games there potentially. So I'm interested to see how that goes. I, I, that's. The stars will be out, obviously, but I want to see how that goes, especially since the Suns are known to play well with their backs against the wall. You know, it's something about that altitude, man. Man. And I don't want to use no excuses, but maybe that's what got the Phoenix, but you're right. Jamal Murray, yeah, he balled out. I didn't get a chance to catch that game one. I caught the highlights of it. He was showing out. I, I I need to catch the, that game one on League Pass replay, even though I'm definitely going to make sure I catch all of game two. I know that the most popular series for most folks 
is going to be the Lakers and Warriors. Mm-hmm. That's going to bring all the fans out casual and the diehards. The series that I'm actually the most interested in is Philadelphia and Boston. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, I, and the reason why I say that is because I think this is going to be a closer matchup than most people expect. I really do. And if Joel and B is just able to play in half of this series, depending on what transpires with the closing seconds of game one and in game two in Boston, like this, this is the matchup for me. It just is. If it's any year where the Sixers have a chance, I think it's no better year than this one. Milwaukee right. out. If you knock Boston down, you got home court in the Eastern Conference Finals. Boston's no slouch, though. They're not going to give it to him. We know that. Jalen Brown has been a man on a mission. He closed out Atlanta dropping 30-plus in the final three games of that series. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was just due to mom's home cooking in Georgia. I don't. <laughs> so he's really that dude. But Jason Tatum, as we know, he needs no introduction. But that's that's my series. A lot of people just want to give it to Boston. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've seen this Philadelphia team enough to realize how much they've grown. And it's something about the fourth quarter where they may be sluggish and sleepy through stretches of games, but when they wake up, they wake up and they let you know. So I'm interested to see what transpires right now from my vantage point as I'm watching the game and I'm talking with you. They're up by two in the closing seconds prior to regulation. Oh, I can give you the update now. They won. That's one. They won by four. 119, Philly. 115. Philly won. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the series. It just got interesting. So I guess I picked the good one. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you definitely picked a good one. Shout out Paul Reed, too. Yes, sir. Double, double. Yes, sir. Blue Demon Nation, baby. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, that concludes this week's installment of yet another edition of Open Run, as we like to thank all of those who have taken the opportunity to tap back in to yet another great show. Make sure you stay tuned into all war media has to offer with shows such as Bears Recap featuring our producer Saul Rodriguez behind the mic with Joe Tanksley recapping all of the moves that the monsters of the Midway made down in KC this year at the NFL Draft. The At Bat podcast is well chronicling all that goes down across the MLB and so much more. You got anything that you have going on, Josh, or in the midst of working on that you would like to plug before we get up out of here? Oh, the bigs. We got a new Bulls podcast, baby. Bulldozed. Yeah, I heard um, that. Just been, just been released. Um, we're going to try to get, get at least, you know, an episode, a couple episodes a month out there until Bull season starts back up, uh, where it's going to be a lot more consistent. But, you know, Drew and I are going to be helping running that thing over there. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of good content coming your way from that, from that perspective with them, especially with the sky coming up. So, You'll see me uh, rocking multiple beats throughout the summer um, in preparation for uh, before the bull season pops back up uh, back in 
Yeah, not over. That's what's happening, man. That's what's happening. I know Eugene and Terrence been doing their things with the bigs. I'm glad to see you and Drew making it happen with them, man. That's what's up. But for myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my co-host Josh Hicks, so long, everybody.